Well, good morning, church. Man, it's so good to be together. As Pastor Troy said, on a, on a sunny... Man, did you even see the, the reports for weather this week? I feel like I'm on a phone call with my grandpa. We start right in with the weather. My, my grandpa's now with Jesus, but uh, that's, that's where we started every time we talked. How about that weather? I'm, I'm really glad to see all of you and some of you that I have not had a chance to met. Uh, met. <laughs> If I haven't uh, had a chance to meet you before, would love to do so in our lobby after the service. You know, when you're new, you just tend to show up to some place and then you don't know anyone and you run out the door because you just have no excuse to stop. Uh, and so, but if I've not met you before, just go grab a coffee between services. Let's meet as we grab some coffee together. I would absolutely love to meet you. And as Pastor Troy said, we've got next steps as well. If you're new with us, we would love to invite you to that. And uh, I also just want to start this morning just letting you know some of the exciting details about where we're going as a church together. One of the things I want to let you know about is that we are praying into and actually taking next steps towards acquiring some office and gathering space and warehouse space uh, as a church. And this, of course, is going to be our, our home. This is our gathering space right here. But we want to create a space for our youth and our prayer ministry to raise leaders, to have the band be able to rehearse and write music together. Come on, a home as God continues to grow us. And so I'm excited about that. I, uh, I was over praying by a place that we are considering uh, making a move on last night. And it was just like personal revival outside that place. So I don't know if that means anything, if there's going to be multiple revivals in other people's hearts outside that building or I don't know what it was, but I'm just excited as God leads us in that. And then the second thing I want to let you know is we're five weeks away from Easter. You're like five weeks away. That's a long time. It is a long time. However, I think that we all need to be considering and praying uh, about who are we going to bring on Easter Sunday. I'm already praying regularly for people in, in my world that are close to me but far from God that I want to invite to Easter. And so I'd encourage you to do the same. In just a couple of weeks, you'll actually see all of our Easter branding and our invite cards roll out. We're excited for that together. Well, as Pastor Troy said, this is week one of a brand new message series. I would encourage you to be here every week of this series. This is an important series. This is a series on getting free in our lives. And so important because every one of us has a season or some moments in the past that, man, we wish we could get a do-over on. And how many are thankful we serve a clean slate God who actually wants to lead you into more and more freedom? And a lot of people don't believe this about God, or I find it hard to believe that, that our God is a God of freedom. In fact, I believe with all of my heart, and the Bible would certainly lead us to understand this, is that for every person walking the planet right now, God desires to lead them on a journey, a spiritual journey, where they would find freedom. God wants to lead us into freedom. Some people would say, doesn't God just want to stifle my freedom, and actually the Bible screams to us something very different, that God wants you to live free. The Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Galatia, and he said, and it was for freedom that Christ has set us free. Jesus said it this way in John chapter 8. He said, if you abide in my word, you truly are my disciples, and you will know the truth, and it's going to be the truth that will set you free. So there's this relationship between freedom and truth. It's interesting, right? That's maybe not something we would think of leading to freedom and truth. I, I, I'm excited to progressively walk through this message and come back to that idea as we close. I think God's just going to turn the lights on for some of us. And, 
and just really reveal to us how powerful that connection is between freedom and truth. Let me try and illustrate it from my own journey, my own life, uh, and from a story of when I first moved away from home. I, I first moved away when I was 17 years old. I'd actually just turned 17. And if there's any teenagers or maybe preteens in the room today, I do not encourage you to move home when you have just turned 17. Parents, I am not advocating for your children to move away right after they get their driver's license. I do not think that that is a good idea. But the circumstances of me moving out for the first, I say for the first time because like any good child, I moved back in a few times. Come on, somebody. But for the first time I moved out, I had just turned 17, and the circumstances were actually highly unusual. Again, I would not recommend any of this to any parents or any teenagers in the room. But here's how it worked for me. I had a friend. His name was Patrick. Patrick was 15 years old. And Pat's parents moved to Florida, to Miami, Florida, right towards the end of one of his high school years. And his parents thought, you know, Patrick's friends are here, and we don't want to put him in a school that he's not been a part of for just a couple months with some people that he doesn't know. And so we're going to leave him behind in Canada, in our house, on his own at 15 years of age, but what we need is a guardian. And so I don't know how long the list of people was that they went through before they got to me, but at some point they came to 17-year-old, just 17-year-old me, and thought it would be a good idea if we left these two friends alone in a house by themselves for, like, with, with Shane, me, <laughs> as the guardian of this whole arrangement. And can I just say how awesome it is to be declared the guardian of one of your friends? I mean, there's nothing like it, really. Like, no, I will not write you that note for being late to school. You're going to go deal with the principal yourself, son. Right to my head. The power, the power always goes right to your head. So, so there Patrick and I are. We're, we're living by ourselves in a house. It was actually amazing. Like, I would, I would come home. And there would be people in the house I had never met before or seen before. I'm like, how did you get here? It's like, how do I keep control of this situation? I am, this was not a good thing. This was a bad idea. Anyways, one of the things they did was, of course, they gave us um, uh, an allowance for food and for gas and so on. And so we had to go and do what we all do at some point in our lives, which is to do a very first grocery shop without your parents. That first time you walk into a grocery store with some money and your parents aren't with you, it is a, a life-changing experience. It is one of the most freeing experiences of your entire life because you're like, no one is going to tell me to go over there by those vegetables anymore. No one. So Patrick and I, we walked through, and all we bought was steak and cheese, really, that I can remember. And we went home, and that first night, we made our first meal of freedom. We decided it should be, come on, we're, we're Canadians, and he's French-Canadian. We decided we would make poutine. And so we made fries, and we stirred up the powder gravy. Come on, somebody. We put, the, we put the cheese on that steaming hot gravy. I think we had, like, Sunny D to wash it down with. Sunny, that, is that juice or not juice? That's not juice, right? It's a drink. Yeah, it's a drink. It's basically sugar and water and whatever makes it turn orange. So we drank that, and then we had chocolate cake. And the reason, I, like, you're like, you, you won't remember all that from when you're seven. I remember it vividly. You know why I remember? Because I felt terrible. I felt awful. I, I felt, we, we were sick for a week. There were no vegetables anywhere near us. And so there we were. We were as free as free could be, free to make any decision we wanted to. But we really weren't experiencing the benefits of freedom because we hadn't applied truth to our freedom. 
We, we weren't living in the truth that there's actually some essential nutrients required for my body to actually be free and to live free. There is this relationship between freedom and truth. Our culture would suggest to you that all you need to be free is the ability to make decisions on your own. Yet the Bible would suggest to you something very differently. There's no freedom without truth involved. Jesus says it's going to be the truth that's going to set you and I, I know some would argue with that and would have a hard time with that, but we're going to keep going progressively today, and at the end, we're going to loop back to it, and we're going to actually see why God did it this way. And it wasn't to stifle your life, and it wasn't to rain on your parade. No, it was actually so that you truly could live free. Well, Jesus' audience, they heard him say this, and they, they sort of replied like I think we would. They said, listen, you, uh, we're off, you probably wouldn't say this, but I'll tell you how it's the same. They said, we are offspring of Abraham. You wouldn't have said that. We've never been enslaved to anyone. How is it you say we will become free? This is how we would respond. Very similar. I'm free to do whatever I want to do. How is it that you tell me that I need to get free? A modern day translation perhaps would be this. Uh, Pastor, I've been in church a long time. How can you tell me that there's still some freedom that I need in my life? Well, Jesus says back then, well, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. And so, and so maybe when you became a Christian, I think all of us, we got God freed us from a whole bunch of stuff. Thank God for that. But there's still some areas, in fact, for most of us, it's, it really maybe becomes an area that we haven't yet surrendered over to God in our lives. That we haven't given over to him. And there's something that Jesus says, uh, that truly I say to you, that you can become a slave to sin. And this is one of my passions as a pastor. Is that you wouldn't just get saved and experience some of God's freedom in most of the areas in your life. No, but that you would get on a journey towards more and more and more freedom that God has for you. Because Jesus says this in in verse 36. He says, if the sun sets you free, well, you're going to be free indeed. And I know when we talk about freedom that many would say, you know what, I wish I could be free. Because in my heart I've got this desire for God. But why is it that in my mind and sometimes in my emotions they seem anti-God? Like there's this internal struggle and I'm, I'm not able to do the things that I really wish I could do. I've been there. You've been there. We, we're, we all actually live in a, in a state of internal conflict between what our heart wants in pursuing God and sometimes where our mind, will, and emotion leads us. Well, thank God that in the Bible is a guy by the name of Apostle Paul who will write two-thirds of the New Testament, plant a whole bunch of churches, and this is the way he says it about himself. Thank God for this is in the Bible. He says, I don't really understand myself. Come on, are you thankful that's in the Bible? Maybe just, am I the only one this morning that's thankful that the Bible's like, hey, this is all of us? He says, what I want to do, I want to do what's right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do the stuff I hate. And so the struggle is real, but there is a solution. There's a journey. There's a journey that we need to go on towards freedom. And the Bible is going to tell us there's some things that we need to understand on that journey. Again, I want to encourage you. This is a series. Dive all in, because if you'll journey this thing through, this isn't freedom. God God saves you in a moment, but God's going to lead you on a journey towards freedom. Freedom, as you constantly are growing in truth. We can't just do this in a half an hour on a Sunday morning. Come on, somebody. I wish I could. Kind of hurts my feelings that we can't. You know, I can't preach that good. 
that it's all going to happen in one moment. No, you're going to have to get more truth and gradually go in. You're going to have to actually get to the place where you don't just stand there and worship, but you actually sing some better thoughts than you came in with. Come on, somebody. You're going to have to hear testimonies next week on Baptism Sunday from other people who got, you need some better testimonies rolling through your mind. You need truth to begin to come and, and allow God to set you free. So what are some of the truths the Bible says are going to help lead us to freedom. Again, this is like the introductory message to a whole series. But there's some, there's some important truths I think that we need to kind of anchor ourselves on as we, as we start into this series. You ready for this? No, you're not ready. 9.30, you ready for this? Yeah. Put my phone down. Hang on. Are you ready for this? <laughs> yeah. no, here's the thing. 60% of you, according to, according to Barna, who does the research on Christians and churches... He would say to us that 60% of you actually are not going to agree with what I'm about to tell you. 59% of Christians, like the majority of you in this room perhaps, I don't know the makeup of this room, but according to the general population of Christians in North America, almost 60% of you are going to not believe what I'm about to say and what the Bible holds out as truth. This is going to be really fun. Are you ready? It's going to be awkward because you're not going to believe it, but are you ready? You Okay. Because you're not going to believe it. Some of you will, but 60% won't. You ready? I don't think you're ready. You ready? There really are demons. Because hmm. 60% of Christians think the devil is just symbolic. Which is exactly what he wants you to think. When I was in my first year of university... Uh, I moved to Toronto for my first year. I, I, I went to York University. I lived on campus. and um, It's in the northern part of Toronto. Not, not too bad of an area. And I drove my little, I think it was a 1994 Honda Civic hatchback, red, um, with, the, with the, like, the, the chrome bumper tip that young men think makes your car fast. I had that. Didn't do anything, but I had it. What else, uh, what else I had was, you know what I'm talking about. You had, a, you had the chrome tip? <laughs> yeah. 1984, right there. You definitely need the chrome tip on that right there. So I had the chrome tip. But about the other thing I had was I had invested a lot in a car stereo, which this is going to blow uh, some of the young people's minds. Really, this, this is going to blow your mind. You used to be able to buy a car, and it didn't have a stereo in it. It just had a hole. And you'd go out, and you'd buy a stereo to put in your car. Come on, somebody. Yeah, you buy a tape deck, and there was a tape you could stick into the tape deck that had a wire that came out of it that you would plug into your CD player. Come on, somebody. So I would take the vast majority of my small income, and I would buy more car stereo components. But one night, someone decided that they liked my car stereo enough that they wanted to take it from me. And so they broke into my car and they stole my car stereo. I was expecting a little bit more sympathy. <laughs> I guess it has been a long time. I should be over it. But here's, here's, here's the point of the story. They did it at night. Like when I went and parked my car at night, my stereo was there. I went back in the morning, my stereo was gone. You know why thieves steal things at night? Because they, 
they don't want you to know that they're there when they're taking your stuff. It's better for them if they're trying to take something that belongs to you for you to not know that they're there. Hello. And so one of the things that the devil wants to do is to convince you that, that he's not real and that there's no such thing as demons. And the majority of Christians, we even fall for this and we even believe this. We need to, if we're going to get free, we need to start to believe some things that the Bible says are true. First Peter says this, come on, stay woke, church. Doesn't say that, but kind of. It says, be alert and of a sober mind. Come on, wake up. Don't get oblivious. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Someone brought someone to church today for the first time, and you're like, why did I bring them today? I knew it was either the demon Sunday or the tithing Sunday, and I got the demon Sunday. But your friend is glad that they're here because they need some freedom in their life, so don't worry about it. So what are we to do? You got an enemy. What are we to do? Watch this. The Bible says this. Resist him. Come on, don't go through life thinking if I play calm with the devil, he'll play calm with me. Hey, let's set a little side agreement. If I leave you alone, you'll leave. No, the Bible never says anything like that. No, it says resist him. Come on, standing firm in the faith. And, uh, so the first thing we need to understand is there really are demons. Now, don't get Christian weird on me. Like, don't start thinking like if you run out of Cheerios today, you're like, man, I knew it. There's a demon that just was like, took the Cheerios. No, don't go too far. Don't get weird. The devil wants you believing he doesn't exist or believing that he's underneath your Cheerio box. Come on. Neither one of those things are good for you. Just understand the demons really are real. Second thing is this. You, we can, even as Christians, be, be under their influence. Pastor, are you saying that I can be demon-possessed? No, absolutely not. No, this is not talking about mastery. Watch what Paul says, though, to a church in Ephesus. He says, in your anger, don't sin. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. Couples, this is good for you. Stay up till three. Come on, have a conversation. Why? Do not give the devil a foothold. So he's not got mastery of over your whole life. He's not controlling your whole world. But Paul is saying, hey, there's some areas, for instance, if you get anger, angry and you sin or you get angry and you're not working it out, where you actually just kind of open the door for like just a little hook to come in and to grab you in that area. It's just a little bit of a foothold. I can get stuck in that area. Well, that's true. So the demons are real and you, you, we can have influence and little issues where he's got a little foothold on us. But come on, somebody. This is why I went through this whole exercise to get to the third point that demons flee in Jesus' name. This is what Jesus uh, said in Luke 10. Uh, well, it says, the 72 returned with joy, and they said to him, Lord, even the demons submit to us in, our na in your name. And so Jesus had sent out 72 of his followers, and he'd given them authority over demons, and they go and they start seeing demons flee, and they come back to Jesus, and they're like, what? It's amazing. The demons are fleeing. They're so excited. And Jesus is like, come on, guys, not a big deal. Listen to what he says. He says, listen, guys, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. What's he saying? He's saying it wasn't some sort of cosmic superpower battle where, like, the God the Father was working really hard and then the devil came back and it was this big struggle and eventually God... No, he's like, listen, it was like a breath. It was like lightning. It was like, it was like that, guys. You don't, you don't really need to celebrate this that much. It's like demons flee in the power of Jesus' name. And so he, said, he goes on and says, you should be rejoicing that your name is, is written in heaven. Come on, somebody. So this is the... There's a little theological part of the message right here. There is only one in, in the heavens with all authority. Come on, somebody. It's our God. So here, why does it matter? What's the big deal? Because I think we really like the kumbaya moments in church. We like the connection with God. And that's the top shelf all day long. That's the best stuff. Come on, we're coming back for a worship night tonight. Because that's just the best. 
but there's also confrontation in our faith that God's called us to engage with and, and have some spiritual strength. And this is what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians. It says that we actually, uh, 2 Corinthians, that though we live in the world, we don't wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Come on, that's why Pastor Troy said that, 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 that we pray for where there was a massacre in a mosque. Why? We're not fighting with people. Come on, our fight is not with people that, th that, that, that have a different faith belief. This is not what we're on earth to engage with. We're on earth to engage with the spiritual powers of deception that keep people lost and far from God. We're on earth to engage with the spiritual powers that, that even though we believe there is, listen, we, we believe there's only one way to God and it's through Jesus Christ. Let's make that very, very clear. Now, however, as we engage with the world, we don't engage from some posture of, I need to fight you because you're not in that place. No, I fight the powers of the darkness that actually keep people bound to understanding what God has done for them. There's a, there's a spiritual, there's confrontation. Come on, somebody. There's like four of you that are excited about this today. The four of you, you're like, yeah, I'm glad we finally got to this. I was waiting for this Sunday, and the rest of us are like, come on, get through this, get through this. <laughs> it's confrontation. Come on, somebody. Called to rise up. In faith, I'm, I'm excited this morning we had someone brand new on our prayer team praying for you all throughout the service, engaged in a spiritual war for the health and heart of our house. Come on, somebody. Someone's praying for you right now. Paul says that we have divine power to demolish strongholds. Now, here is, here is my second favorite part of the message. My favorite's right at the end. Second favorite part of the message. You ready for this? Paul says you can demolish a stronghold. Once you understand what a stronghold is, you're going to love that the Bible says that you can demolish it. Here's what this word stronghold means in the Bible. It means being held prisoner by deception. It, it's not like you're, actual, you're actually imprisoned. You're just held prison by deception. Here's the, here's the imagery. This is how they will train elephants to live in captivity. So if someone's going to train an elephant to live in captivity, what they'll do is they'll take a rope and they'll tie it around its neck and they'll tie it to a pole and the elephant can't get away, and it will try and run, but it can't run. It can't overpower the strength of the rope and the pole that's holding it in place. And eventually, it gives up trying to run away. Eventually, the elephant grows, and it's, of course, able to now. We could be able to run this pole right over. It could break the rope, no problem. But if you've ever even been to the circus back in the day, you would notice that they would tie, they would tie ropes around an elephant's neck. It's not even tied to anything anymore. But the elephant thinks because there's a rope around its neck, it can't go anywhere and it's not free. Come on, somebody. That's what a stronghold looks like in your faith. The devil holding you in place, not by something real that you can't walk out of, but by a deception that you have to stay stuck. Come on. The Bible goes on and says, says that we can demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. So we demolish we demolish that deception with the truth of who God is constantly growing in knowledge. That's why we say, come on, it can't be 30 minutes on a Sunday. We got to keep coming back to church, not just because we want high attendance numbers, but because when we grow in knowledge, come on, we start to take authority over that, which is deception. And that's why we say, give us a year of your life, not so that we can win as a church, so that you can win in your life. Come on, go through next steps, get on the dream team, start serving someone because part of your freedom will come from actually being engaged in a fight for somebody else. Come on, get in a small group. And you're like, man, that's, get baptized. Don't let me forget that. We're having a baptism. So you're like, next week. That's a whole lot of stuff, pastor. Like, my life's really busy. That's a whole bunch of stuff. I'm going to tell you, it honestly is, but 
It's better than believing a lie about who you are and who God says you are and who God is. It really is. Come on. It's something standing in the way of freedom, and it's a lie, and we need the knowledge of God to get free. So, so far this morning, it's been, it's been really heady stuff. It's like my head talking to your head some truth from the Bible. It's just, it's intellectual. But let's, let's move to a place, and this is, this is where, let's get, let's get talking about the heart. And not even from my heart to your heart today, from God's heart to your heart. I believe God wants to speak right to your heart in the room this morning. And I believe the first thing that your heavenly father wants to speak to your heart today is that you can be free. Come on, say, I can be free with me on the count of three. One, two, three. I can be free. Come on, say it again like you mean it. I can be free. I can be free. Do you believe it? This is what, this is what the Bible says in Romans 8 in the message translation. It says, those who enter into Christ's being here for us no longer have to live under a continuous low-lying black cloud. A new power is in operation. The spirit of life in Christ, like a strong wind, has magnificently cleared the air, freeing you from a faded lifetime of brutal tyranny at the hands of sin and death. You can be free. Here's the second thing. Once we believe we, we can be free, we've got to identify the lie. Like if you're stuck in some bitterness, and some anger, maybe the lie is that I couldn't forgive. It's always going to be this way in this relationship. If you're stuck in lust, maybe the lie is I need this to feel wanted. If you're stuck in fear, maybe the lie is I don't really know if God's with me. Once we believe we can be free, we got to just take a moment and say, what's the lie? In that area where you're not free, what's the lie that's keeping you trapped there? In my own life, for years, I believed a lie that I couldn't be influential. For 30 years of my life, I believed I could not be influential. I remember when, as a young adult, my pastor got up and he said, we're looking for some people to lead some small groups. And I remember sitting there and thinking, you know, I'm just not the leader type. And I believed this lie. I'm not a leader. I'm not that influential. I thank God in his incredible sense of humor that he decided to take me from that place to now leading spiritually in your life to the place where I could be able to say like Paul come on church imitate me as I as I imitate Christ to actually lead now I don't struggle with that lie a lot anymore the devil still comes along sometimes it's like no that's still who you are it still happens but I've learned how I get free from that lie and stay free from that lie. So once we believe that we can be free and we identify the lie, what's the third step? It's to replace the lie. Oh, come on, this is gonna be good. Let's bring it back full circle to the very beginning. Jesus said it was gonna be truth that set you free. 
Look how this goes together. You can't simply fight a lie. You've got to replace a lie. And so the reason that truth and freedom go together is when you speak truth to a lie, you actually replace the lie. So when the devil comes along, he's like, hey, you know, you can't really be that influential. I don't just like looking. I'm like, yes, I can. And watch me do it. I'd fall flat on my face. No, I replaced the lie with God's truth. There's a calling on my life. God put an anointing upon me and called me to do something for his kingdom. I replace the lie with God's truth. What's the lie you need to replace today? Maybe it's the lie that you can't be influential and you need to replace it with knowing that God's got a calling. Or maybe, maybe it's the lie that it's always gonna be this way. God's truth says, come on, you're a new creation. Maybe it's the lie that nobody cares about me and, and, and the truth comes along and says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm not even gonna fear any evil. Why? Because you're with me. Maybe the lie is that you don't belong in this house. And God says, no, I'm gonna come along. I'm gonna replace that lie with the truth. You're a son or a daughter in God's house. Come on, what's the lie that you don't need to just fight? You need to replace with some truth because you'll only stay stuck as long as you believe the lie. Come on, God is for you. He loves you. He's with you. You think, man, the lie for you might be, God couldn't love me and I couldn't receive mercy. No, he gave everything for you. He gave his son for you. That blood has already been spilled. He's done all he needed to do to reach to you. That lie is replaced with the knowledge of who God is and what he's done. only stay stuck if we believe the lie, but God has declared over us, and we're going to walk this out over four weeks, you can, you can be free. So God, I thank you for your presence in this place, because we do know God, 34 minutes of preaching is not the thing that's going to set us free. It's going to be the voice of the Holy Spirit replacing the lie with God's truth. Thank you, God, that this is a journey. Thank you that this is a process. And as a community, collectively, we say we are on that journey together. We will walk in your freedom. Thank you that you save us in a moment, but you free us on a journey and we are walking. And today we take a next step and today we lean in and today we say yes, God, to your next step, to even just believing that we could be free in this place in Jesus' name. Come on, church, let's stand together all over the room. We're gonna respond back in a time of worship in a song that really declares the freedom that God has for us. And so Father, I pray, Holy Spirit, speak and apply this word to our hearts, God, as we, as we sing some truth in this place in Jesus' name.
that sickness like you believe you can be free. even just understanding that freedom is that easy in the kingdom of God. Like, let's not make this harder than it needs to be. God frees you in a moment because of his blood and forgives you utterly and entirely. And how does he keep leading you into freedom? Come on, he just speaks promises over you that replace lies. You just gotta identify the lie and be like, I'm gonna step, I'm gonna choose to believe what freedom, what God's word says I can be free. Come on, somebody. Let's not make our faith harder than it needs to be. There is a confrontation, but it happens. Come on, somebody. Like lightning in the spirit. I don't... I'm glad there's a worship night tonight, because I just want to keep going. <laughs> Maybe you're here, and, and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, and so all over the room, I'm going to invite us to bow our heads and close our eyes, because maybe you came to church today, and and you'd say, you know what, Pastor, I'm not free at all, I'm not forgiven, and I don't know if I died in this moment, whether my life would be secure in God and I would live in eternity for uh, forever with Jesus Christ in, in heaven. And I, I just, I need today to make a faith decision to surrender my life to Jesus. The Bible says, again, that that is absolutely a free gift from God. Literally explains salvation as a gift multiple times by faith in what God did for you through his son, Jesus. And so though our sins separate us from God, God came and rescued you. And in a moment, we're going to pray a prayer of believing faith in what God did for you. And the Bible says, if you will pray that prayer, believing from your heart and choose to follow Jesus, God will utterly save and forgive you. And so if that's you here in the room this morning, you say, yeah, pastor, would you include me in that prayer in, in just a moment? to surrender my life to Jesus, either for the very first time or today I know I need to re-surrender re my life to Christ because I've walked away from God. And I don't just mean you had a bad week. I mean, no, you know you're far from God in this place today. If that's you, would you just slip up your hand and say, yeah, include me in that prayer. Include me in that prayer. We won't center you out or embarrass you in any way. No, we're just gonna pray together. All of us are gonna pray in this room and you can pray right where you are. That's between you and God. But you'd say, yeah, would you include me in that prayer today? Today is my moment of decision. I'm gonna make that decision today. Awesome, yeah. 
believe God's speaking to hearts. So let's pray together. Come on, church, help me. And if you raise your hand or you know you're making that decision today, pray this from your heart. Say, dear Jesus, my all-in surrender is yours. And I'm going to follow you. Because I believe that you died and rose again. So I can be forgiven and free. And I receive that by faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, church, let's put our hands together for those who made a faith decision in the room today. Nothing better.